welcome to another episode of NICE Talks. I'm Phil Ranson, a member of NICE's media team, and in this episode we're going to be talking about the changes to our methods and processes for health technology evaluation. These changes follow one of the largest and most comprehensive reviews into every aspect of how NICE evaluates medicines and medical technologies we've ever undertaken. It covers how topics are chosen, the steps and stages in each evaluation, and how evidence is collected and considered. We'll be talking to Helen Knight, Programme Director in the Centre for Health Technology Evaluation at NICE, and Dr Jane Adam, who is Chair of one of NICE's independent appraisal committees. So my first question is to Helen. Why does NICE need to change its methods and processes for evaluating medicines, devices and diagnostics? It's really important for NICE to support rapid access to clinically and cost-effective health technologies because this is vital to patients, their families, the NHS and the overall life sciences industry. We have a five-year strategy at NICE and that clearly sets out our vision to anticipate, recognise and respond to future changes and this is important to ensure we're constantly improving health and well-being. So we do need to put robust evidence at the heart of health and care decision making whilst working with industry partners to foster innovation. One of the primary focuses is for us to provide independent world-class assessments of value for our healthcare system and in return improved access to new and existing technologies for patients. NICE has more than 20 years experience of doing health technology assessments and we're a global leader which means that assessing our methods is important because we're constantly striving to improve. In addition um, we know that health technologies are rapidly changing, life sciences is, is rapidly advancing and so we need to make sure that our methods and processes for evaluation are also keeping up with that rapid change. So by reviewing our methods and processes we need to remain agile and responsive and that in turn helps us to support the needs of the health and life sciences ecosystem. So this process is taken over two years to complete. Why has it taken such a long time and, and can we expect more of the same in the future? This review was one of the largest and the most comprehensive reviews that we've ever undertaken in health technology evaluation at NICE. We have covered the full breadth of all our health technology evaluations, spanning different types of technologies, all the different steps and stages of evaluations and the different participation of groups involved and the many different aspects of how we collect and think about evidence. So we did need extensive involvement from health system partners, industry, healthcare professionals, academia and patients to ensure that the changes that we would be looking to implement would be fit for purpose and reflect as much as possible the needs and aspirations of these groups as well as of NICE. But this is not the end of the story. So we've presented and made changes, but we know from our experience over the last two and a half years that there is more that we need to do. In the short term, we are going to be exploring the impacts and the benefits of the updated processes and methods that we're currently making. And we want to ensure that they're effectively implemented so that we can realise the benefits for NICE and the NHS and the wider stakeholder community as well as supporting the wider vision from the government for life sciences. 
But what we need to do is, is think about those topics where we haven't been able to make changes just at this stage because we need to do either more research or do more investigation as to what exactly we can do to make those changes happen. So we are going to be moving into a more modular update with our methods and our processes to allow us to be more responsive when data is changing, when types of technologies are changing, so we can lay the groundwork for remaining cutting edge in the future. Thanks, Helen. A question for you, Jane. What do you think are the most significant changes coming out of this review? And what would they mean for patients, the NHS and industry? Well, if I take those questions in order, perhaps if I start with the patients, the basic intentions as far as, as patients are the same as they've always been, that there's a desire to improve the health of the population as a whole, and importantly, to make sure that there's equality of access to services for patients. But of course, that all has to be delivered through value to the NHS. But for patients, I think the hope is that this review will help to identify earlier and to adopt earlier those new and innovative technologies that are going to benefit people's health. And in addition, I think there's a particular emphasis and and an understanding of the importance of those treatments for really severe diseases that people can suffer from. From the NHS, I think we all want the NHS to be really at the forefront of being able to offer innovative treatments, but we know that that has to be provided in a cost-effective way. But hopefully the new methods guide will actually encourage opportunities through commercial and managed access for these innovative treatments to be provided in the NHS. And I suppose then for industry, finally, UK obviously wants to encourage and support the life sciences industry. And in order to do that, the NICE updated guides will help, I think, to actually ensure fairer, transparent, more robust and possibly, most important, more predictable evaluations. And I think that will be helped by improvements in the nature of the evidence that's utilised and expansion to include other areas of evidence like real world evidence. And that should enable companies to plan their evidence collection well in advance of any NICE evaluation so that they can expect a more predictable outcome to those evaluations. Thanks, Jane. Back to you, Helen. During consultation on the proposed changes, there was a lot of interest in the so-called severity modifier. Can you explain what this is and how it will work in practice? I'll start by maybe explaining what we mean by a modifier. So modifiers are factors that we take into account that may influence or modify our decisions. These include things like how good the evidence is, how certain are we about the benefits of a technology, and also whether there are any benefits beyond health that aren't included in the normal calculations. People may be aware that we previously took into account whether a treatment would extend someone's life when they are near the end of life. But it's important to note that when we take into account these extra factors, we have to be aware that we will be giving a knock-on effect elsewhere in the NHS. So it's right that we do think about them carefully. We need to be sure that they are justified by good reasoning and evidence. It's therefore essential that there's complete transparency about the modifiers that are applied in committee's decision-making and, crucially, why they're being adopted in order to reflect what society values as important for health technologies. 
So thinking about the severity modifier, we are now giving additional weight to health benefits seen in the most severe conditions. And this is quite an exceptional approach in the way that end of life previously was an exceptional approach. It will allow for more equitable access to treatments for the most severe diseases and not just those that are used at the end of life. And we've implemented this change because we have seen evidence that shows people in the UK highly value health benefits from treatments for the most severe diseases. In response to how it might work in practice, our committees, when they're doing an evaluation, will need to look at how severe each condition is They'll look at the evidence on that to understand and measure the effects on people. And then they'll take that into account when they think about whether a technology is a good use of resources. So when committees see technologies for the most severe conditions, they can put greater weight on the benefit the technology provides. OK, thank you, Helen. Jane, NICE already takes uncertainty into account in its decision making. Would I be right in saying that the changes NICE are making allow for more flexibility in the decision-making process? Why have NICE done this? I think I I wouldn't say that it is allowing for more flexibility. I think the changes are, in fact, clarifying where committees already adopt some degree of flexibility. But that has never been really clear. And the aim is to make it much more clear when uncertainty can be taken into account. And in general, that is where the evidence generation is more difficult. And there are particular areas where this can be a problem in, for example, diseases for children, where the evidence may be relatively sparse, or of course in rare diseases where you have a small patient population, and also possibly with complex treatments. NICE will continue to seek the best available evidence, but where there is a shortfall and there's a recognised reason for a shortfall in that evidence, then the committees um, can take that uncertainty into account in an appropriate way, bearing in mind that they have this duty to make fair decisions both for patients and for the NHS without providing any unnecessary barriers to the adoption of new and innovative technologies. Okay, thanks Jane. Another question for Helen. During consultation on the proposed changes, we heard a lot, particularly from industry, about the need to change the current discount rate that NICE uses in its evaluations from the current 3.5% to 1.5%. Firstly, can you explain the significance of the discount rate? And secondly, can you tell us why NICE hasn't been able to change it? I'll maybe start by explaining what the discount rate does. Discount rate is a way that we can reflect in our evaluations the idea that people in general prefer to spend money later rather than sooner, but to have the benefits sooner. So the choice of the discount rate has a particularly large effect on evaluations where the costs and benefits occur at different times. And so we see that particularly for technologies like cell and gene therapies and other potentially curative treatments that are kind of more one-off treatments and you'll see the costs are incurred very early in the time frame but benefits obviously accrue over time and long into the future. In those circumstances a lower discount rate can substantially improve the apparent cost effectiveness of the technologies compared with using a higher rate. What we found early on in our review was that there was some evidence that we should change our preferred discount rates. However, 
the discount rate we do use interlinks with other issues across the healthcare system. So it wasn't possible to make a change. We do understand the concerns raised by industry in particular and other stakeholders, but we haven't found anything from the response to consultation or anything that we've considered more recently that that would change that view. As always, NICE does contribute to system-wide policy discussions regarding discounting, and we do these through established channels and ongoing collaborations with stakeholders and health system partners, and we will, of course, continue to do that after we publish these manuals. Okay, thank you, Helen. Another question for you. This one is about rare diseases. So the rare disease community have said that the changes that NICE have made don't go far enough, and that people with rare diseases will continue to face barriers to new and often expensive new treatments. Many in that community were calling for additional weight to be given to health benefits and rare diseases, a so-called rarity modifier, like the one that we've just been hearing about for the most severe diseases. So why has NICE not done this? And what has NICE done to mitigate these barriers to access to treatments for people with rare diseases? An important question. Throughout the review, we looked into how we should approach rare diseases. It's obviously really important that we tackle the challenges in the rare diseases fairly and appropriately. But we found that there wasn't any evidence that people in the UK would value more highly health benefits specifically in rare diseases. And as a result, we shouldn't be applying extra weight or applying a modifier in this situation. Important to note, though, that there are a number of other things that we have done that will help make sure that rare diseases are tackled and patients are supported in getting access to important new innovations. We know that a lot of rare diseases are severe and have big effects on people with the condition. So with the changes that we made, we would be able to consider those within the new severity modifier that we've previously mentioned. We know it's also difficult to collect evidence for rare diseases, So we'll have the flexible approach that Jane was referring to earlier. And so we're able to think about broader sources of evidence, such as real world evidence and expert input. And all of that will then help the committee to make recommendations quickly and robustly and support rapid access to new treatments for rare diseases. That broad package, we hope, will help to mitigate the barriers that people have raised concerns about for rare disease technologies but whilst also maintaining an evidence-based, robust and proportionate evaluation. Thank you, Helen. Jane, a final question for you. Why do you think there is a benefit in NICE providing more flexibility in the use of a comprehensive evidence base, including the use of real-world data? I think as Helen has already outlined, for some situations such as in rare disease, the standard randomised controlled trial data is just not available. And so this nice update incorporates quite a wide range of incremental improvements to ensure that NICE does receive the best possible evidence, but also with an underlying understanding of its value and its limitations. The evidence base can include randomised controlled trials, non-randomised controlled trials, but there's been a particular focus on the use of real world or other evidence and looking at how expanding and improving the use of real world evidence can be used to inform nice decisions. And of course, real world evidence comes from real world patients. So it gives a particular insight into how people might be affected um, by the guidance that is subsequently issued.
that greater clarity, particularly on the use of real-world evidence, should be helpful for companies to incorporate into submissions and for everybody to make the outcomes more predictable. Thank you, Jane. Helen, a final question for you. Do you think these proposals demonstrate that NICE is supporting the life sciences vision of making the UK a more attractive place for life sciences companies to succeed and grow? NICE's role is to ensure the products we assess provide value to our healthcare system, but we also have to balance this with um, encouraging and supporting innovation in the sector through flexible and responsive health technology evaluation. So we do want to improve how we work with our stakeholders and importantly industry and companies so that people in the UK will continue to be among the first to benefit from these much needed groundbreaking treatments. Having left the EU, it's important that the UK remains a favourable environment for life sciences businesses to launch their products here. The changes we're making will help achieve that ambition by ensuring the UK marketplace is positioned as one that offers opportunities for the life sciences businesses in the areas that matter most. Britain's exit from the EU does provide us with an opportunity to showcase what we can do for life sciences businesses to use the UK as a place to invest in and grow their operations. And it's crucial really that we do play our role in ensuring the right environment for delivering opportunities and benefits for companies to first launch their products in Britain. The changes we're making will help shape the UK marketplace by offering greater decision-making flexibility when it counts and building on several initiatives as well, which NICE is already involved in. These initiatives include the innovative licensing and access pathway called ILAP, and we're working on that ILAP initiative with colleagues at the MHRA, the Scottish Medicines Consortium, and the All Wales Medicines and Toxicology Centre. We're also very involved in the forthcoming Innovative Medicines Fund, and we're doing that in partnership with NHS England and Improvement. So all of this Encompass is a really exciting time for us to progress the life sciences ecosystem in the UK. So thank you, Helen Knight and Jane Adam for that very interesting discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nice Talks. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to click subscribe to keep up to date with our monthly podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram with the handle at NiceComs. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.